Gandang gabi po sa bawat isa. If you could open our Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're not familiar with the Bible, to a song letter found in the second half of this sacred document that we call Holy Scripture. It is one of the letters of a, it's a letter, one of the two letters of a fisherman, a rough fisherman who was later on changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Peter. And he wrote this letter to a group of churches uh, Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Itong group of churches ito, they're experiencing great persecution. Um, not that uh, it's empire-wide persecution. It's more like a sporadic, localized um, persecution that they experience from society. And many of their family members, their neighbors, their friends um, ridiculed them. They're ostracized by their own loved ones, and Peter is writing this letter to encourage them so that they would stand fast in the grace of God. And we're going to continue our series in this letter from chapter 4, this Peter chapter 4. Before we continue, let's pray and ask God for His grace. Our Father in heaven, we ask you that you would descend, that you would make your presence felt by us. May your word be crystal clear so that we would see glimpses of truth that you have for us. And I pray that your word would change us. May you give us um, a different view of life, that we would view life through the lenses of Holy Scripture. And as we study your word, that Jesus Christ would be the focus of our attention, that we would see more about him, more about Jesus, that we would want to know. And may the knowledge of Jesus Christ change us to become more like Jesus Christ as we live in this world, in this present evil world. And may you give us the courage and the strength to obey whatever it is that we would learn from your word. And all these things come from you, the only Father who is the, who is the giver of good gifts. And may you get all the glory because this is your work and this is your doing and these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, I have four friends. Um, so four, three friends. Right? I have three friends who later on joined the United States Marines. Right? And they're actually inviting me to go and join also. chaplain. We're all part of the, of the same basketball team. Right? We're all together. One of them, yung nauna, nauna siyang graduate. And we were still in high school, graduate na siya, and then he joined the Marines. And he showed, and then later on, after, after boot camp, they showed us a picture of the graduates, batch na yun, right? Fine, you know, 
find find yung sa, sa mga kapatid niya kasama kasama classmate ko. Hanapin mo yung kapatid ko dito. Okay? Graduate siya. And, and, and when I look at the picture, hindi ko makilala kung sino dito yung kapatid niya. Okay? Sino ba? Saan dito si Travis? Sabi ko, I, 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 kasi yung itsura ng picture frame, okay? yung, yung pictures ng mga graduates, lahat sila magkakamuka. They have all the same haircut, well, obviously, but they all have the same shape ng kanilang face. Yeah, I mean, for, for weeks, they have the same diet, same amount of diet, same, same exercise that they do, and eventually, all of them look exactly the same. You cannot tell which one is which, right? Even, even his own parents don't know sino yung anak nila dito. Basta sabi lang, dito yung anak ko eh, saan ba dyan, right? They, they don't know. One of the things that the military does before sending their soldiers to war is they do what we call boot camp or training where they will prepare themselves for whatever it is that they will face you know, or whatever it is that they prepare and train for. In this passage that we have before us, Paul, uh, Peter, is exhorting God's people to, tr- to be prepared, to be equipped. It's actually a military term, to be armed. To be ready for battle. Right? Be ready. Be prepared. Be armed to suffer. Are you prepared to suffer? Right? Is that something that you're planning on doing? I'm planning to suffer, so I'm going to prepare. <laughs> I mean, do we really prepare for this? Are we planning on suffering? Well, one of the commands that we have in Scripture is that we need to plan, we need to prepare, we need to equip ourselves. And, and I like the way it's translated here in the King James, arm yourself for suffering. Let us read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Holy Scripture says, For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walk in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And the main command, as I have said already, the main argument here in this section is found in that verb, arm yourself to suffer. Arm yourself in the same mind, in the same what kind of mind? In the mind of Christ that He suffered. You also prepare yourself to suffering. Who here wants to suffer? <laughs> you just can't wait. Kailan ba yung next to suffering? Sign up mo naman ako. I mean, we usually don't think in those terms. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we need to equip ourselves with 
And to be ready is for the coming of suffering, particularly suffering because of our faith, suffering persecution from people, from unbelievers. In this passage, we're going to talk about three, maybe I would say we're going to answer the question, why do we arm ourselves in suffering? Maybe three reasons, right? Three reasons, we're going to formulate the sentence so it would present its way in, in, a, in, a, in a reason um, answer. Uh, three reasons why God's people must suffer or must arm themselves for suffering. So three key ideas from this passage. First, arm yourself to suffer for righteousness. Why? Because you are identified with Jesus Christ. Arm yourselves to suffer for righteousness because you are identified with Jesus Christ. You and Jesus Christ are united together. You are one with Christ. And so therefore, arm yourself to suffer for righteousness. In verse 1, that's, that's the basis for this whole command of arming yourselves. For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, you also will suffer in the flesh. Think about the same thing. Because Christ did this. Well, we're thinking, well, okay, Christ suffered. Why do I have to suffer? Well, the answer is because you and Jesus Christ are united together. If you name the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, you are identified with Christ. And whatever it is with Christ is true with you. And Peter has made that argument already in this entire letter. And we've talked about that um, in previous Sundays. The basis for the main command is, is Paul is, uh, Peter is drawing from, from the last section here, which we talked about a few months ago, um, verses 18 to 22, where Jesus Christ suffered. Right? For Christ, verse 18, for Christ also at once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive or quickened by the Spirit. And Christ was victorious in his suffering. If Christ was victorious in his suffering, you who name the name of Christ are also victorious in Christ's suffering. And so be equipped. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. What is Jesus Christ saying? Don't be surprised if you'll suffer persecution from those that rejected Jesus Christ, because they have rejected me, they will reject you also, because you are my followers. And as I mentioned earlier, First Peter is a letter to a to group of churches in Asia Minor who are suffering persecution. worldwide persecution, This is before that event, and maybe Peter is already arming them for that coming persecution, that worldwide or empire-wide persecution. 
but they're already experiencing some mockings, that they're being laughed at, they're being ridiculed. Maybe some are beaten physically. Some ay pinalaya sa kanilang mga bahay because of their faith. They're rejected by society. They're rejected by their friends. They're rejected by their neighbors. They're rejected by their families. Persecution in the church is normal. Or persecution of the church is normal. Right? Um, that's always how it's been in the history of the Christian church. During the time of Christ and even up to now. We may not experience it in the same way that the previous generation have experienced persecution, but we don't know. Maybe in a few years, in a few months, things would change that we would really suffer persecution. See, what we experience now where we have freedom of religion, that is very unique to our generation. Throughout church history, that has not always been that way. Just a few years or a few, few days, few weeks after Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven, you have Stephen, one of the deacons of the early church, killed because of his testimony about Christ. And that persecutor there in the book of Acts was this man named Saul of Tarsus. He's the one spearheading all the murders of Christians. Stephen was his first victim. But then one day, Saul of Tarsus, the fierce persecutor of Christians, was changed when he saw Jesus Christ. The one who used to persecute people, now he's the one being persecuted. In 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read to you, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the testimony of the experience of Saul of Tarsus that we call now um, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So I'll read beginning in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. What he experienced. Okay? But he would say, I really love, you know, by inspiration, Paul would say, listen, I'm saying this for the sake of argument, okay? but I'm speaking as a fool. Okay? So, I'm just, just letting you know for, for the sake of my argument. So, I speak as a fool. I am more a minister of Jesus Christ. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Of the Jews, five times receive I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches 
And this is just you know, stuff that, that, that Paul is experiencing. And, and all of this, so 2 Corinthians, are just in the early portion of his life. Oh, one, one of my um, teachers um, suggests that that writing in 2 Corinthians are all referring to the time when Paul was in Tarsus. Be, before siya ni Barnabas. Before the book of Acts. So wala pa yung mga nangyaring persecution sa Acts. Idadagdag mo pa dun sa listahan na yun. According to tradition, all the original disciples of Jesus Christ died a martyr's death. Except perhaps um, John the Beloved. Philip was tortured, thrown in prison, and crucified in Phrygia. Matthew killed with a spear attached to a battle axe in Ethiopia. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem before he was beheaded. Andrew was crucified on a cross, forming an X. It's probably where the term St. Andrew's Cross um, comes from. Um, Peter was crucified upside down under Emperor Nero. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrown onto a spear by a pagan priest. Simon was crucified near Britain. And even other followers like Luke hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Mark dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. And Paul beheaded by Emperor Nero just after the writing of 2 Timothy. Christians experienced various persecutions under different emperors um, for, a, for, for almost 300 years um, or 200 years after the death of Christ or after the death of the, uh, let me say that again, 200 years after the writing of the book of Revelation. So you have a book of Revelation, closed canon, may mga persecution na nangyari during that time, and even after that, for the next 200 years, more persecution. Finally, the persecution of Christians kind of stopped or maybe made a pause in AD 325 or AD 323. What we call the Edict of Milan. The new emperor, Constantine, legalized Christianity. But then, a few years after that, Heretics that we call the Aryans, and these are a group of people that deny that Jesus Christ is fully God. And they would say Jesus Christ is a small God, but not fully God or fully God. He, he, was, he was God, but he is created by the Father. And this, this false teaching, these heretics led by Arius, Arians, influenced Constantine. And now all the pastors among the churches that preach orthodox doctrine are now banished from their pulpits. Some of them went into hiding because they're teaching that Jesus Christ is fully God. That's not a popular teaching. Just after the, legal, the legalization of Christianity, another set of persecution. Pumasok naman sa church. Not until 381, more than 50 years later, that there's an acknowledgement that Arianism is a heresy, that Jesus Christ is fully God or fully God. And 
during this time, many people will say, well, it's, they're thankful and legalized now Christianity. Everything's good. We now have freedom of religion, as they say. But then what happened to the church? The church became corrupt. Because it's legalized, it's popular. Many people want to be part of, of the, this new group called Christianity. See? Because the emperor is a Christian. Pag-Christian ka rin, mataas yung may favor ka from the emperor, may favor ka from high officials. Well, I'm, I might as well be a Christian also without really understanding what Christianity means. And because of that, you have churches who are now filled with nominal Christians. Christiano lang sa pangalan. But they're not truly converted. They're not truly followers of Jesus Christ. What do you have when a church is filled with non-Christians? Someone had said that false conversion is the suicide of the church. And we see that throughout history. And we see that in Scripture. Some of the warnings in the Bible is that false teachers are coming from among you. And now the church is corrupted. And we call this, this stage in church history the Dark Ages. And it's the Dark Ages because the light of God's truth, of God's word, is not shining brightly. It's a dark world. People do things in their own eyes. Um, the, the religion is, is mixed with politics and corruption. And this is, all, this is all recorded in history. You have a few lights, a few men preaching truth, but then the institution of the church would shut them down. A Bible will be written in Latin and you cannot translate it to your own language. And Latin is a dying language by that time. No one can understand the Bible. If there's no Bible, there's no truth, there's no light. Sabi ng psalmist, the entrance of your word gives light. But if there's no word of God, there's no light. That's why we call this the Dark Ages. The truth of God is shut. Until in 1517, one Roman Catholic priest, as he studied the book of Romans, as he studied his Bible, as he learned the languages, he found out that the teaching of the Bible is that justification is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And he started to see the, the, the false teachings of the church. And he posted in that door in the, in the church in Wittenberg, Germany, what we call the 95 Theses. 95 arguments against the teachings of the church. And again, the lights trying to to, to shine bright. And this is 1517. This is thousands of years later. And even during this time, we call this time the Reformation, even during this time, if you are a reformer, if you're part of, of this group that wants to get away from, from the institution of the Roman Catholic Church, you are persecuted. In fact, this man, we call Martin Luther, is such a fugitive, wanted by the government because of his propaganda of publishing literature against, you know, against the teachings of the church. And this would continue for, for, for years, even after his death. See, what I'm saying is, throughout church history, Christians always suffer persecution. This is not strange when this would happen. 
This is not uncommon. Now the world maybe is no longer dominated by a world religion, but now it's dominated by a culture that is so secularized that it no longer needs religion. It's a world that outwardly condemns and hates religion. We call this postmodern thinking. The postmodern mind, you should tolerate everything. Everything is fine. All road leads to Rome, whatever religion you choose. If you think homosexual marriage is fine, it's fine. And we should tolerate people with, according to what they believe. There's one Christian writer that wrote this book, if you could get a copy. Um, I haven't read it, but it's, uh, I've read parts. It's called The Intolerance of Tolerance. Right? Because the, the culture today is now tolerance. Just tolerate yan. gay marriage, we should just tolerate people. But... If, it is against, if it's the Christians, we should not tolerate them. And he's pointing out the inconsistency of the tolerate, tolerance culture. You're inconsistent. Okay lang kapag ganito yung religion and, and you know, other groups, di ba? Pag, pag Muslim holiday, everyone would, you know, that's okay. If you bring your Book of Mormons in America, if you bring your Book of Mormons, your, your sacred writings, sacred religion to your church, it's okay. It's celebrated. Like, wow, nice. We, we want variety of, of religions here. But if you bring your Bible, you're condemned. And he's pointing out the, the inconsistencies of this culture. The media praises tolerance for Eastern religions, but are not tolerant of Christians. One example, I don't know if you're familiar with football. I'm not really a big football fan. But there's one football player um, named Tim Tebow. So you know, you've heard of Tim Tebow. All right. Tim Tebow is a football player, quarterback, um, used to play for, for the Denver Broncos. Now, I don't agree with everything about Tim Tebow, but one of the things about him is that he is a professing believer. He's a professing Christian. Interesting about him is that he is one of the most hated athletes in football. And some people are asking, why do people hate him so much? You know, uh, at one time, he, he led the Broncos to the playoffs. And yung team niya is a sobrang mahinang team. They call it a surprising wins. They're not expecting them to win. Or they didn't win all the way. Pero malayo yung narating nila sa playoffs. And people were surprised about that. Zumikat siya. And one of the things that he would do, he would bow down in the center of the court and he would pray. Right? Or just offer some praise and thanks. And the media didn't like it. In fact, another NBA player copied that. You know, Paul Pierce, right? Uh, he used to play for the Boston Celtics. Copied that. At the center court, he bowed down. And one of the coaches said, you know what, I, I didn't know he did that. But if he did it, if I've seen it, I would stop him from doing that. See, they're, they're, you're tolerating all the religions, but when it comes to Christianity, there's no tolerance. That is the secular culture that we live in. Someone said in, in asking this, this question, why do people hate Tim Tebow, this quarterback? 
Someone said, Jake Plummer said on the Phoenix radio station that he would like Thibault more if he would shut up about his faith in Jesus Christ. And with the little comment, the cat, as they said, was out of the bag. Plummer said what the commentator wouldn't say. Their dislike for Tim Thibault is not as they would have us believe. It's not about his throwing motion, football, or his com completion percentage. It's all about his open, open professions of faith that his goody two-shoes image. When it comes right down to it, we don't want heroes who are truly good. We want them to, to fail the occasional drug test or start a bar fight from time to time. It makes us feel better about ourselves. And in the society, that's really what the society is about. Whenever there are people who profess Christ and living for Christ, it's rebuking their lifestyle and they don't like it. The light that God's people are shining through their life is a rebuke, a condemnation to the lifestyle of, of, of lost people. And that's why they won't tolerate Christianity. Christianity has always been under trial. Right? And what we have as freedom of religion this is unique to our country and maybe other countries too, but unique to our generation. It will not forever be like this. Arm yourself, therefore, to suffer for suffering. Arm yourself. Second, arm yourself to suffer because we're identified with Jesus Christ and because of this identity with Jesus Christ, suffering is inevitable. But second, Arm yourselves to suffer for righteousness because willingness to suffer evidences triumph over sin. Willingness to suffer evidences triumph over sin. Arm yourself to suffer for righteousness because willingness to suffer evidences triumph over sin. Let's read verse 1 again. For as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. What does that mean? Right? It's probably a really difficult section. Right? Many people have come up with other ideas of what, what does this phrase mean? If you suffer, you cease from sin. It's basically what what that passage is saying. Well, I'm going to tell you what it is not teaching. Right? Compare scripture with scripture, and we try to analyze what's happening in the context. This is what is, it is not teaching. Right? This verse is not referring to Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, he that had suffered, some people think that that's referring to Jesus Christ. Um, he suffered in the flesh, and so he stopped from sinning. Well, that, that doesn't work, because he did not sin at all. This is not referring to metaphorical sin or metaphorical suffering. This is not referring to martyr for you to be saved. Um, in previous generations, many Christians believe this. And that's why they put a high, you know, martyr's death. Because if you suffer, you cease from sin. I must die for my faith. Well, that's not going to be true with all of us. Right? Some would, but not all. 
So that's not what it means. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. If you suffer, you'll be perfect and you won't sin. I mean, experientially, that's not true. And that's not true with anyone. I mean, do you know anyone who suffered? Because he suffered, he no longer stopped sinning. Hindi na nagkakasala yan si brother. Ano eh? Kasi nung nakulong yan, dahil sa faith niya, hindi na siya nagkakasala. I mean, that, that is not true. Right? Um, there's no evidence even in Scripture that would teach that. Some would say, and this is the, probably the most popular, is that in order for, for you to stop sinning or to tr- have triumph over sin, you need to suffer. Uh, we, we call this asceticism, where people would, would, would purposefully hurt themselves, parang penance, to pay for their sin. You know, papagutom ako. You know, um, para lang, you know, to pay for my sin. Oh, gabi nagkasala ako, sige, hindi, hindi mo na ako magda-lunch. Okay? Um, or, you know, I, we, we, mga kababayan natin, okay? um, especially during panahon ng uh, mahal na araw, they'll be walking and flagging themselves. Diba? Yung iba, magpapakapako talaga. Yung iba, peking pagkapako. Okay? Why? Well, because they believe that if I suffer, somehow some of my sins will be paid for if I suffer. Uh, there will be cessation of sin. I'll be triumphant over sin if I suffer in that way. Well, that, that is not what, what Peter is trying to say here. What Peter is trying to say, and I'm going to prove this by, by looking into the following verses. What Peter is trying to say here is like this. If you're willing to suffer... Right? For he that is su- for he that had suffered, if if you have a willingness to suffer, if you are suffering as a Christian, that proves that you are a Christian. That proves that you have triumphed over sin. Not that you nagkakasala, but that means that God has now changed you. You're now truly regenerated. Meron ka ng victory over sin. And one of the evidence of that is your suffering. Persecution is an evidence that you have triumphed over sin. You're now a Christian. Someone has said this. They have broken with sin. These people have broken with sin because they have ceased to participate in the lawless activities of unbelievers and endure the criticisms that have come from such a decision. The commitment to suffer reveals a passion for a new way of life, a life that is not yet perfect, but remarkably different from the lives of unbelievers in the Greek or Roman world. Let's keep reading. What, 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 Peter, what do you mean that he that suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin? Well, let's look at verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. See, someone who is willing to suffer, someone who is a true Christian, who would triumph over sin, he would show that by his change of purpose. See, he's no longer living the rest of his time, the rest of the time he has in this world, for the lust of his flesh. But now he's living for the will of God. That's what verse 2 is saying. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. 
See, what does it mean that he who suffers ceases from sin? If you are suffering as a Christian, if you're being persecuted, or you're willing to be persecuted for your faith, that shows, that evidences that you have triumphed over sin. That evidences that you are a Christian. Yung kabalik tala nun, totoo rin. Kapag ikaw, ayaw mong mag-suffer, you stay away from persecution, you're probably not a Christian. Do we have other evidences in the Bible about this? The Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 talked about a parable. We call this a parable of the sower who sowed seeds in four kinds of soil. My good soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and the wayside. What's interesting is dalawang nasakit. And the wayside, hindi na tanim. Hindi na tanim, kinuha ng ibon, walang tanim. The good soil, syempre, nagbunga. So, good heart, true conversion. Isa talagang walang conversion. But what's interesting is yung gitna. The rocky ground, the rocky soil, and the thorny soil. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13. Verse 20 and 22. Oh, 22, 22. Describing what it means na may, may seed na punta sa thorny ground and punta sa rocky ground. Sabi ni Jesus Christ, explaining the parable to his disciples, Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. But he that received the seed into stony places, so stony soil, the same is he that heareth the word. And anon with joy receiveth it. So, so narinig niya yung gospel and he rejoiced with this. Wow, this is good news. But verse 21, Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Wala na. Dumating ang persecution, dumating ang trials, dumating ang, pers- ang difficulties, dumating ang suffering. Wala na. Yung ko na rito sa Christianity. Th- those are the ones that the-, the gospel seed is planted on stony ground. Those are not true converts. And, and the same is true with-, with those in the thorny ground. Verse 22. He that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. See, the thorny ground and the stony ground, may, may, may lupa dun eh. Naitanim. Pero, walang na, na, namatay yung seed. It was choked. Hindi nagbunga. Bakit? Yung stony ground because of persecution. Ayoko na sa Christianity. In thorny ground, the deceitfulness of riches, the lifestyle of this present world choked the word of God, choked the gospel seed. These two soils are not true converts. They are the ones that would come and they would say, wow, I've received the gospel. This is joy. I want to join the choir, they may even say. I want to help in the church. I'm excited about the gospel. But then, pag dumating na ang persecution, dumating na ang suffering, ganito pala dito, ayoko na. Pinagtatawanan ako, hindi ko kaya, awalis na ako. 
Or kapag dumat, uh, nakita nila yung, yung, yung riches that this world has to offer, the pleasures of this world, I mean, mas, mas gusto ko yun. Ayoko na rito. These people are not true converts. And that is what Peter is saying here. If you have suffered, if you're willing to suffer, that means that seed of the gospel is on good ground. Because you're willing to suffer, it will remain. That seed will remain. Even through suffering. Because you have a different purpose. You're now here, not for the last of men, but for the will of God. Verse 2. Bago na ang iyong ginagawa. At one time in church history, um, there was an emperor named Decius, AD 250. He, he gave an edict na lahat ng, ng under his empire, which is the known world, Christians. We're killing too many Christians. Right? Let's just let's give them a chance. Right? And this is the anniversary of Rome as an empire. I think a thousandth anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. And so the Emperor Decius, I'm gonna let all, all the people to offer incense to the pagan gods and then offer incense to the genius of the emperor, which is him, right? And just, just say that I'm, I'm, I'm genius and, and just worship me, right? And then I will give you a certificate. We call this the libelius certificate, right? And so the Christians are now, you know, may temptation sila, gagawin ko ba ito? Hindi. Magsasacrifice ba ako sa, sa emperor? At saka sa pagan gods? Or hindi? Kung hindi, hindi ako bibigyan ng certificate. Kung wala akong certificate, nahuli ako ng mga guards. No, parang, parang ID yun eh. Labas na yung ID. No ID, no entry, di ba? No libelius. Baka hindi ka makabili ng kailangan mong pagkain sa palengke. Mahirap ang buhay pag wala kang certificate na gano'n. Nagpapatunay na natapos ka na mag-worship sa pagan gods. And many Christians recanted their faith. Um, the term there is the lapsed. Right? These are those because of fear of persecution, because of unwillingness to suffer. They said, oh, mahirap ang buhay. Maintindihan rin naman siguro ng Diyos yan, no? Di ba? That's the typical excuse. Sige na nga, offer na tayo ng incense emperor at sa pagan gods. Recant na tayo ng faith natin. Right? Pakawa naman si Junior, walang, walang gatas. Di ba? Those who would do this have not ceased from... That, that evidence is that you are probably not truly converted. Verse 3, Pinapakita pa nito yung, yung ibig sabihin yung for he that had suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin. For this is what will happen. For a time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. In, in sa dating yung buhay, you have already done the things that you have done. You, you walked in lasciviousness, in lusts, in excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Triumph over sin reveals a change of your activities. For a truly Christian, nagbago ka na ito dati mong ginagawa. This is what Peter is saying. For the time past, dati itong ginagawa mo. Ngayon, hindi na. And interestingly, yung mga kasalanan na binanggit na rito, when we walked in lasciviousness, 
lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries are really sins of, of a lifestyle of this world. Lustivousness, right? just a general word for sensuality. Lusts, excess of wine, revelings. What do you mean revelings? Drinking parties. Um, involving unrestrained indulgence in alcoholic beverages and sexual behavior. Revelings, that's the King James word. Or banquetings, drinking parties. Right? And these are abominable idolatries. And Paul is, Peter is saying, Now you have a change of behavior. And because of this change of behavior, this is now the response of the people towards you. Verse 4. Wherein, because of all this, because of this change, that you're living for the last of your flesh, now you're doing the will of God. That this is your lifestyle. But because of this change, verse 4. Wherein they think it's strange. Your friends now think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot. Now you have a, a change of friends. They're now wondering, Bakit di ka na sumasama? Eh, masaya to. Bakit, but KJ ka na? That is because someone who's willing to suffer has ceased from sin. You have now a changed man. I am, I'm willing to suffer ridicule for my friends. I'm willing to suffer maybe the pleasures of this world that maybe I would normally want to, to have, but no no appetite for these things. I'm willing to be persecuted because of my lifestyle, because I have ceased from sin, because God has changed me. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about a behavior of this lifestyle of this world. You have stopped from this. And you're willing to suffer. Dahil dito. So what happens when you no longer live the lifestyle that you used to have? What happens when you no longer laugh at the jokes about sin? What happens when you no longer live for the pleasures of your flesh but for the will of God? This is what would happen. Your friends would think you're weird. Your friends would think of you as strange. They are surprised. That's the word surprised. They think it's strange. The idea is they're bewildered. They're surprised. Like, huh? Oh, no. That doesn't make sense in their mind. Because now you're living for the, for the will of God. Now God is what obsesses you. obsession. Now it's God. What are you obsessed about? Have you ceased from sin? Are you willing to suffer because of this? Because of your faith? What, what do you dream about? What is it that you like the most? What, what are you having? What, what's your intense craving? Ano yun? Right? Are you looking for the approval of your friends? What is it that you cannot wait to have? What is it that you keep talking about? Right? Is it for the lusts of this present evil world? Or is it the will of God? Is it God? I was reading one book, um, and he, he gave this illustration. I'm just going to borrow from him. Uh, Heath Lambert in Finally Free. So you got to change it a little bit. Right? 
If someone would say, I no longer want, you know, I, I'm content with my phone. You know, my, my Nokia 3210. I'm content with this. I own an iPhone. iPhone. And then this person who would say this would keep on talking about it. I'm content with this phone. But really, it would be nice and wonderful if you would give me an iPhone. I mean, ko naman tatanggihan. But really, I am really content with this phone. I really love this phone. It's working well. I mean, ano ba bang kailangan ko? Kailangan ko na naman is text and call, di ba? And this, you know, calculator nga, meron din dito eh. No, pagka nilagaluan mo ang iPhone, huwag mo po nang, pwede, tatanggapin ko. Let us magpo-post ka sa Instagram, yung picture mo ng 3210 mo. Hindi ko lang paano mo ipopost, wala nang Instagram, so maybe it doesn't work. Hashtag Nokia satisfies. Haters gonna hate. Hashtag. I mean, is that person really content with his phone? I mean, if you keep talking about it, you're not content about it. Right? What is it that you keep talking about? What is it that, that, that drives you? What are you obsessed about? Maybe some of you are thinking, well, ayoko na ng gantong lifestyle. Ayoko na ito. Okay lang sa akin kahit wala yan. Or okay lang sa akin kahit wala kaming kotse. Okay lang sa akin kahit... But if you keep talking about it, that is what you are about. That is what you're living your life for. That is your obsession. You can't stop talking about it. But he is willing to suffer would say, you know, I, I'm no longer living for that. I'm, I'm for the will of God. That he no longer should live the rest of his time, the time I have remaining, in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For in time past is what I do. The Gentiles, you have walked in the Gentiles, in the chivalrousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, that your friends would think it strange, that you don't run with them. You know that word run? is really the idea of pursuing and indulging with excitement. You can't wait to the next gimmick, sabar. Right? That's really that word, run. In excess of riot, sobra, sobra, of all these pleasures. And this is what they do. So do in verse 4. Speaking evil of you. That word really is the word blaspheme. Blasphemeo. This is what they're doing. Now, because of your changed life, they're going to speak evil of you. But the challenge of Peter is arm yourself suffering. Be willing to suffer this kind of, of suffering. That because of your changed life, they will speak evil of you. Are you ready for that? Or are you willing to take that? Or are you a secret agent Christian? No, hindi ka nagpapahalata. Sama ka sa bar, upo ka lang naman doon, sip, sip lang. Ano ka lang? I don't know what you do, alright? Doon ka lang, upo ka lang, hindi ka nagsasalita. But hindi yung peer pressure eh. Kasi kasama ko sa trabaho. Kasi kasama ko sa group project to eh. Kailangan, punta talaga ako. Kasi lang pupunta eh. Are you willing to suffer? If you're willing to suffer, that evidences that you are a Christian. If you're not, are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? That is Peter's point. 
He that suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin. If you are suffering, if you're willing to suffer, if you suffer persecution, that means you have been converted, you have been triumphant over sin, you have ceased from sin. Third reason. Arm yourself for suffering um, because you're identified with Jesus Christ. Second, arm yourself for suffering because it evidences that you have been triumphant over sin. It evidences that you're a Christian. Third, arm yourself for suffering for righteousness. I don't know if this will work with a because. Because there is a future hope. Basically, it's okay. There is hope. Arm yourself to suffer for righteousness because there is future hope. Verse 5, this is what will happen to those who blaspheme you, those who speak evil of you. Who, these people who speak evil of you, verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? These people that persecute you, these people that make fun of you, these people that reject you, these people that ridicule you, these people that look minamalit ka, minamaltrato ka because of your faith. These people who make fun of your God, who make fun of your religion, who maybe have a grin whenever you talk about Christ. These people will face the judgment of God. That's what verse 5 is saying. Who, referring to these people, shall give account to him that is ready. He's prepared to judge the quick and the dead the living and the dead. Non-Christians enjoying sin and persecuting you will someday face the judgment of God. So is the life of suffering persecution worth it? Well, pang-pandito lang sa mundo yan. Later on, they will find out. You know, parang FPJ, di ba? Sa simula, nagpapabugbog, di ba? But they will find out unless they would be converted to Christianity like the Apostle Paul. And they will find out that what they've done is wrong. That they were on the wrong side of the battle. Like Paul found out eventually. But all these persecutors, they would find out eventually. So so you be better on the right side. Moses, who will be on the Lord's side? Choose this side. Which side are you? Christians who believe the gospel are alive according to God. This is the future hope. Verse 6. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. That's probably a difficult verse. So one commentator said that this is the most difficult verse in the entire Bible. I don't know if it's the entire Bible, but maybe, right? I said, what it means, what does it mean to preach the gospel to them that are dead? I mean, do you preach the gospel to them that are dead? I mean, we have funeral services, but we don't preach to the one who's dead. We preach to the ones who are listening, right? What does that mean? Some people suggest that, you know, maybe you're preaching the gospel to those who are spiritually dead. Okay, maybe that's possible, right? But I don't think there are any indications in the context that that's what Paul meant. Right? It seems like he's, he's referring to people who are actually dead. 
And uh, there's no sense of preaching to the dead because there's no second chance. I mean, kung may second chance pala eh, di mag-party-party na lang tayo ngayon, tapos mamaya, pagpatay na ako, preach the gospel na lang sa amin, sa funeral namin. Diba? And, and that would um, be the opposite of what Peter is trying to say. Well, I'm just going to propose what, what I think this means. What this means, for this cause, the gospel was preached. Okay, tapos na. In a passive sense, I think this is also a, a perfect passive. It was preached to them who are now dead. Okay? The believers who are now dead. Okay? It was preached to them, they're believers, ngayon patay na sila. Okay? And, and the argument is, the lost world would say, eh, pare-pareso naman tayo mamatay eh. Bakit pa, di ba party na lang tayo ngayon, napang buhay pa tayo, di ba? That's their perspective. But the perspective for the Christian is like this. According to the flesh. Let's see, let's keep reading. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. Right? Sa paningin, according to men, they are judged as, so, 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 sa laman, they're dead according to the flesh. But, live or alive according to God in the Spirit. Uh, maybe to understand this clearly, you could put an although. Right? Let's try to put that although there. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, although that they might be judged according to men, according to lost men, they are judged in the flesh as, as dead, although that's what they think. But according to God, you are alive in the Spirit. What verse 6 is saying is that the perspective of God is what matters most. Pre-presa tayo mamatay. Sa tingin ng, ng lost person, is that pre-presa tayo mamatay, magpakasaya na tayo ngayon sa mundo. Pero sa paningin ng Diyos, whose, whose opinion matters most, you're alive. Sa tingin nila, patay, patay na sila eh, wala na. Pero sa tingin ng Diyos, you're alive by the means of the Spirit. You're alive to God. According to God, you're alive. According to men, you're dead in the flesh. But according to God, you're alive. Unbelievers view death of believers as proof that there is no advantage in becoming a believer. For all, without exception, die. Mamatay Peter indicated, however, that unbelievers do not understand the whole picture. Even though, from a human perspective, believers seem to gain no benefits from their faith since they die, but from God's perspective, they are alive according to the Spirit. It's a fictional story. Because, what is it? Election. There's one politician. And someone advised him that the largest demographic among the population of his country is the young people. Maraming kabataan sa kanilang, um, sa kanilang bansa. If you appeal, if you're liked by the young people, you'll win the, the race. So, kanilang strategy, they have a strategy, we'll, we'll appeal to the young people. Ano bang gusto ng mga kabataan? Libro yung edukasyon. Sige, yun ang platforma natin. Libro yung edukasyon. Ano bang gusto ng mga kabataan? Okay? And so, he, he, eventually, he was well-liked by the people, uh, by the young people. Right? They would visit high schools and colleges and, 
and all the teenagers, syempre sila yung may hawak ng Facebook and social media and, and Twitter and, and everything. They're like, oh, itong kandidato namin. And it's well like it's now the most popular among all the candidates. Come election time. In election time, he lost. He was wondering, paano ako natalo? And someone told him, sir, Karamihan po sa mga kabataan na may gusto sa inyo, hindi po registered voters. Hindi po sila registered voters. He was liked by the people, but it's the wrong people. You don't need to be liked by them because they, they can't vote. Right? Their vote doesn't matter. Kasi hindi yun official, di ba? Hindi tatalab. Who are you trying to please? Are you pleasing the people whose vote doesn't matter? You are all going to die. They will be judged. That's verse 5. But verse 6, according to God's perspective, you're alive. Whose perspective matters? God's perspective matters. At the end, only his vote counts. It doesn't matter if people like you or don't like you. Popularity doesn't matter. Fame, prestige, certain position, those things don't matter. There's only one person to please and nothing to prove. You're living for an audience of one. His perspective, God's perspective, God's vote, that is the only thing that matters. And so Paul, Peter is saying, I keep saying Paul, right? Peter is saying, arm yourselves to suffering. Be willing to suffer for your faith. Because God's perspective, that alone matters. And for him, what you're doing is life. This is truly living. How then are we going to arm ourselves to suffer for righteousness? Just a few suggestions. Probably could, more, could be more. One, and probably most obvious, is that we need to boldly testify the gospel to your friends. If your friends don't know that you're a Christian, you're not arming yourself to suffer. Boldly testify the gospel. Let them know who you are. Not just by what you say, but how you live. And maybe that might be difficult for some. Well, alam nila kung yung mga kalukuhan na ginawa ko eh. Well, this will be a great opportunity for you to confess to them. You know what? Alam mo, sumama ako sa'yo. Ginawa natin itong kalukuhan na to. I am really bothered by it. Hopefully this is true. Well, you're not just saying it para lang masabi mo. I am really bothered by that. Because I'm not supposed to be doing that. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you have the courage to say that? And I know that would take a lot of courage. But if you're serious about following Jesus Christ, you should do I mean, I, I, I really need to tell you this. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Di ko dapat ginawa yun. Di dapat ako sumama sa ginawa natin ng lukuhan. Maybe you need to pray, God give me boldness to do that. And only after you do that could you talk about your faith. I mean, you can't talk about your faith and then they would look at you, eh, kasama ka kita sa kalokohan, eh. Tapos, Jesus, Jesus ka ngayon. Tatawa lang ka lang nila. Anong, anong gimmick mo ngayon, ha? Di ba? Anong trip yan? Ito, bago kang trip. Jesus trip, di ba? That's what they would say. They're, gonna, they're not gonna take you seriously. You need to confess. And then, speak about the gospel. Now, everything is don't isolate yourself. Engage yourself with culture. 
Right? This, this is, this is a, a, really a balance we need to understand. Engage yourself with culture without blending in with culture. Right? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. But we don't isolate ourselves. Right? Ourselves. Isolate, magpapakahermit. Isolation is a coward way of dealing with persecution from the secular culture. Ayoko yan eh, makamundo yan. Ayoko yan, ayoko makisama dyan. Dito na lang ako. Okay? But you need to engage with them. How are they gonna know if there's no light? You need to engage with them without participating with them. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. But then Hebrews would say, He is separate from sinners and undefiled. He did not sin. And he's a friend of sinners. How does that work? Well, he engages himself with sinners. He talks to that Samaritan woman where no one else would talk to her because of her lifestyle. Ilan ba yung asawa niya? At Samaritan pa siya. Diba? Walang makikipag-usap sa kanya. But Jesus purposefully went to Samaria to engage with that woman, to speak to her. We need to do the same. If all your friends are Christians, you must change your lifestyle. You need to have lost friends that you regularly engage with. If you look at your Facebook friends and they're all Christians, right? you should change your lifestyle. The people you talk to are all Christians. You need to be regularly engaged with lost people. And the opposite is true. If your lost friends don't think of your lifestyle as different and strange, something is also wrong. Because your lost friends must, verse 4, think it's strange that you don't run with them. They must know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ by the way you live. Don't be surprised with suffering. Anticipate suffering. Develop a thick face, ready to receive insults and rejection. Right? I'm so sensitive. No, Follower of Jesus Christ. Anticipate suffering and rejection. But also be encouraged. Because Jesus Christ was victorious over all his suffering. Because he was victorious in his suffering and you're identified with Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You also will be victorious over all the sufferings that you would experience. Maybe not in this life, but eventually. All those that, would, that cost your suffering, that cost your persecution, all those that persecute you, will one day know that they were wrong. Right? We don't need to live a life always trying to be right. Because one day, God will make all wrongs right. Sabi ng songwriter, Let death and hell Against me rise. Through death, I'll gain eternal joys. Death and hell, come on. Right? Through death, I'll gain eternal joys. All powers of hell will bend the knee before my great King of glory. This is how we respond to suffering. We anticipate suffering. We rejoice to the suffering that God has given us as opportunities to boldly stand for the faith. I'm going to ask you if you could close your eyes and bow your heads and give you an opportunity for personal prayer.
So I want to ask God that God would give us the boldness, the courage, the willingness to suffer. Let us all stand. Let's testify through song, this song, Oh God, my joy. That through a suffering that we experience, that God, He is the source of our joy. He is our obsession. Let's sing all three stanzas. Let us pray. Lord God, we are weak, and if we are honest, we are cowards. We can't really do it on our own. May you give us the humility to depend on Christ and to ask for courage and for boldness to let the people around us that we are followers of Jesus Christ even if it means suffering, even if it means persecution of any kind, whether it might be life-threatening or, or maybe it's just jokes or, or maybe it was just re- it's just rejection or ridicule from these people. You give us the boldness 
to understand that suffering would lead us to glory, that we would have the joy, just like Jesus who suffered, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And may we do the same because we're followers of Jesus. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.